So this letter was written because there was some false teaching that was coming into this church uh, in Colossae. We'll get a mention of a guy named Epaphras in this passage today. He was the one who founded the church. He got saved about 70 miles away when Paul was in Ephesus for a number of uh, months and sharing the gospel. The gospel spread to the entire area and region. Epaphras started a church. Then all these false teachers started coming in, and they began to diminish the work of Jesus, who he is, that, that he's not the Son of God. Uh, he's not God the Son, and that his work on the cross wasn't sufficient. Here's some different ways they were beginning to propose that, that you could actually become really in tune with God and actually experience the fullness of God. And so Paul challenges all of that and says, Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. Uh, and, and we've been now raised with Christ. Uh, the things they're proposing for you and I to experience a deeper walk or knowledge of God were things like, you know, uh, an, uh, you know kind of religious experiences and dietary laws and, you know, kind of visions that they would, you know, brag about and worship of angels. And, and Paul says, listen, you've been raised with Christ. Uh, and, and what he did for you is enough for you to experience all the fullness of God. It's now your job and my job to appropriate what has already been given to us because of Christ's death and resurrection. Chapter 3 and 4 we've been looking at the last couple of weeks became very practical. How we set our hearts and our minds on heavenly things. We put off our old life, our old sins. We began to put on the new life, the characteristics of Christ. And that led to a new life that flowed from the inside, changes on the inside, and it began to flow out to our relationships. Something we talked about last week, our uh, marriage and raising kids and having a job and being a boss, right? Home and work and community. Paul says that, that now that Christ is in your life, it should affect change in all those areas. Well, now he, he kind of wraps up this letter and we're going to close out the, today talking about how he encourages us to continue to have a heavenly mind as we live here on earth, where Jesus is as he described in chapter 3, he is our life. He's everything about our life. Our life should be centered around him. The very core of who we are should be about walking with him and knowing with him. And so he closes out with some encouragement and also uh, some examples of people who are living very heavenly-minded lives here on earth. So if you pick up with, at verse 2 with me, Colossians chapter 4, we'll read the first couple of verses together. Paul says, that you and I are to continue, verse 2, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear what, which is how I ought to speak. First thing that Paul says about having this heavenly mind while we live on earth is, is that you and I ought to be praying di diligently. He said to devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, prayer is work, by the way. Like, uh, prayer is not something that, that comes natural or easy. I mean, we might pray when, you know, we need something right away, that kind of thing. But setting time aside and praying specific for needs that you know about in your life, uh, it, it seemed that Paul's talking about Something more than us just bringing our needs before God, which God's word encourages you and I to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. So we're called to bring our needs, our family's needs, our personal needs to the Lord. But this seems to be more in line with the prayer and the mission of the church. That Paul says that, that, that the success of that congregation, the success of them as believers, the success of the gospel continuing to spread would be attached directly to praying diligently to spending time in prayer. 
We're supposed to be living this new life. And Paul says this new life would be a part of actually praying and, and being watchful, having an alert mind. When you think about being watchful in prayer, this idea is, is like being in tune with what, you know, God is doing. Have you ever, have you ever like been praying at times and all of a sudden you feel like the Lord directing you specifically to pray for a situation, maybe even to pray for a specific person, right? That's being watchful. It's being mindful. It's being alert in prayer. God, I, I sense that this is what you are doing. This is what you want to do. And so, Lord, I want to be in tune with what you are doing. You think about living a heavenly life on earth, a heavenly mindset on earth. Um, you know, what are the big things that really matter in life, Right? I mean, our specific needs matter, but when you get to like the, the grand scope of life and eternity, what matters is, are do people know Jesus, right? Are people experiencing his life in their, you know, their everyday life? Is there, is there brokenness in a person that God wants to bring healing because he has died and risen from the dead and, and by his stripes, right, and wounds, we're healed, not only spiritually, but God brings healing in our lives through that, through that work of the cross. See, this is to have a heavenly mindset. When, when we're at prayer, that we would, as we pray for our friends and pray for people, you know, I'd imagine right now that every one of us has a, a friend or a loved one who doesn't know Christ today. Like, if this was to all wrap up today, like, we're done. Like, the earth is done. God's like, I'm done. Time's up. Jesus returns. Like, right now, do you know people that would enter into eternity uh, Christless, like, without the Lord? I think all of us know somebody. So we say, Lord, open their eyes. God, uh, speak to their hearts. And then, and then as Paul encourages them to pray for him, that you and I would actually pray, God, give me an opportunity to share with somebody today, to talk to someone or that specific person about who you are and your love for them. You know, Paul's in prison right now when he writes this letter. And it's interesting. If I was in jail, I'd be like, hey, y'all, you know, pray for me. I want to get out of here, right? Like, I want to be out of this prison. Paul doesn't even ask for God to give him a release. He says that, 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 that pray that I would be able, uh, that a, an open door for the word would be available, that he would be able to share the good news even in prison. I mean, we're thankful for Paul's imprisonment. That's where we get all the prison letters, right? We get like Ephesians and Colossians. And, and so we see that God used that time. And certainly there are many people that were a part of the, the, the Roman government that were a part of being a prison guard that actually became believers because of the Apostle Paul. He says, pray for me that an effective door would be open for the word, right? What a great way to pray, Lord Bless RVC to actually be fruitful and be able to share the good news with folks that we're around this week. And then he says, with thanksgiving. Like our, our prayers should always be mingled with praise. Think about the way you and I just begin our day. Like to be able to wake up and say, Lord, I wanted to say thank you that I'm alive. I want to say thank you that I have another opportunity to live for you. God, I want to say thank you for all the things that you've already done for me, right? When we do our, our prayer nights, we have uh, these nights called fervent nights, and they're a great night for not only us praying for literally maybe a hundred prayer requests that come in during those couple weeks, but also 
uh, for all of us to be participating in prayer, laboring in prayer over these needs. I always love to see the follow-up cards that come, like how God opened the door for a job, or God's bringing restoration to a relationship, or, or God's giving this person the ability to continue to courageously move forward after they've dealt with loss, to be thankful for all the things that God has already done. So Paul says, heavenly-minded living on earth, it, 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 would, it would be that you and I are praying diligently for kingdom kinds of things. But then also, number two, Paul talks about walking in wisdom so that we would live wisely, number two. Our interaction with the world, as he talks about in verse five and six, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. To, to be wise in how we live, in how we interact with people, right? He talks about just uh, using time wisely. How many of you guys have that little thing on your phone that lets you know every single week, like, how much time you spend with your phone? Do you have that where it pops up and it's like, hey, congratulations, this week you've used your phone 33% more than last week. Like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like a full-time job having that phone, right? It's amazing how much time... I'm going to speak for myself. It's amazing how much time I waste in my day. What Paul is saying is, guys, the time is short. James talks about how our life is like a vapor, right? It's just, it's so brief and so fast. And our young people here today, I know it's hard for you to imagine like that, that life actually speeds up. But for those of you who are like post 50, right? It's just nuts how all of a sudden, Tam and I are talking like, okay, go, favorite Christmas ever. I'm like, uh, the one that I didn't have to drive back to Fresno with back way back in 1999, I think. I got sick, really sick during Christmas time. And uh, anyway, so we're talking about, I'm like, oh my gosh, our kids were so little. I think, I think Caden was like, a zygote? No, no, he was out. He was out of the womb. He was like, yeah, he's like three months old, two months old, whatever. He's a month and a half old. I'm not good at math. It's crazy how all of a sudden, like those years just go Paul's saying the same thing. It's like, guys, every day, you and I have an opportunity to have wisdom with our lives. Not just how we interact with people, but how we use our time, what we do with our time. Time is precious to not miss out on opportunities to buy back that time on things that really matter. Things that matter are prayer. He just talked about that. Things that matter are interaction with people and sharing the good news with people. I read that, that the average person spends six months of their lifetime sitting at red lights, right? That's why a lot of you speed up when it's yellow. It's like, I'm not going to waste my time, Lord. <laughs> Using that time. What if you, instead of picking up your phone, which is, can I have some law enforcement help here? Well, it's just like illegal, right? It's like not even, like hands-free. We've got to be hands-free. Uh, what if you just use that time to say, you know what, every red light, I'm going to pray for my church. Every red light I get to, I'm going to pray for someone I know that has a need. Just think about that. I don't have time for God's word. Our phones tell us we're liars, by the way, by telling us, like, last week, you spent six and a half hours on your phone each day. Uh, that's a lot, right? We all agree that that's like a, a disproportionate amount of time to spend on your phone. I'm so thankful I'm not there yet, but it's inching. You think about picking up your Bible on your, on your seat and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to read a couple verses right now. 
Just allow God's word to, you know, get into my soul. Or maybe it's a phone call just to pray, to talk with somebody or someone that you know has a need. To live wisely and, and, and having our interaction with the world with that same kind of wisdom. He says, don't let the way you live and the way you speak turn someone away from the Lord, but your, your speech would actually be attractive and draw people. To not be, you know, um, grumpy. You think about, you know, people that have, you know, follow Jesus and you just go like, but there's, I don't even want to sit by you. I don't want to be stuck next to you anywhere because you're just like not pleasant to be around. Paul says that to, to, as a follower of Christ, the way you and I talk to people should draw them in to actually where they want to actually interact with us and the things that we say, the things that we talk about, would actually elevate their in their mind's eye who Jesus is, not take away. I think all of us might know people that you just go like, <clears throat> like you should stop talking on social media. You should stop talking uh, in real life because the way the stuff that flies out of your pie hole is not very encouraging to people that they actually want to like ask questions about Jesus. And, and, and that's what he's really getting at. He says, so that we might know how to answer each person. Peter talks about this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That when people interact with us, especially going through trials, that they would actually be inquiring of what is your reason of hope that you have in Jesus? Like to be able to have an answer when people have questions about the Lord, to be able to answer them biblically. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. Saying, guys, the whole idea is for you and I to have this, this, this all-encompassed life that's centered around Jesus Christ, which is at the core of who we are. He's using us as we are a part of prayer, praying and seeing God's work be done through answered prayer, that God would use us in our lives as we are aware of how fast time is going and actually to live wisely, not only with what we do with our time, but how we interact with people with that time, how we talk and be able to give answers to people when they have questions about Jesus. And then he wraps up this letter. And, and you know, sometimes you read through the New Testament and you read through a list of names and it's almost like getting um, your family, you know, as you were growing up, maybe you would get like, you know, cards from people in the mail and you're like, I don't know you. I've never met you. I don't really care to read your letter. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm not making, I'm not knocking letters, by the way. I'm just saying, you know, if you were growing up in the household and you're like, those are my parents' friends or my grandparents' friends, but I don't know them. Sometimes you're reading through a list at the end of a chapter, uh, the last chapter of a New Testament. You might think like, what do these names mean? I'm telling you, all of these people Paul references here, they all give examples now of what it looks like to live a heavenly life here on earth. Paul says to pray diligently. He teaches us that you and I should live wisely, but last, we should also, as these men and women experience in life, to be faithful, number three, to be faithful. Their lives tell a story. They give us insight, by the way, that Paul's not a lone ranger. He wasn't one who just said, I can do it all on my own. It's just me and Jesus. 
It was a, a, a family that God had surrounded the Apostle Paul with, and now he's acknowledging those and giving some encouragement to those who are actually a part of, of that journey. And by the way, these are all qualities, if you would, that you and I should seek to emulate. We think about our own lives as followers of Christ. We see these different men and women. We say, God, I want to have that to be a part of my own journey. So he starts these final greetings, beginning in verse 7. Uh, this name, Tychicus, he says, will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Here's this example of faithfulness. We first see this man, Tychicus, by the way. I've never seen that run across our um, you know, sign-in for kids, so if that's a name, if you're looking for a biblical name, Tychicus. Don't tick Tychicus off because he gets very angry. He's with Paul. <clears throat> we'll call him the faithful one, this trusted assistant. He's helpful to Paul in so many ways. And by the way, so many departed from Paul when he got arrested and went to prison. As you might imagine, having a, a close friend who goes to prison uh, in, in those time periods, your association with them would actually make you a part of the guilty party as well. And so many distance themselves from Paul. And Paul is grateful for the few that kind of stuck by him. In fact, he talks about it in another letter that all have departed from me except for one. Right? So here's this guy, this faithful guy. He hung in there when it got rough. He hung in there when people begin to talk and gossip. Man, think about a quality to have as a follower of Christ. We think about being prayerful. We think about living wisely. You think about being faithful. To actually be dependable for somebody like the Apostle Paul. That's another way to think about him. He was faithful to what God had asked him to do which is to stick by Paul and be a part of continuing the mission to, of getting the gospel out to the Gentile world. I love what Paul says. He says he's a fellow servant. And because he's a fellow servant, Paul called him a beloved brother. He was dearly loved and so important to Paul. Think about our own lives here on earth. We get very, very busy. We have a lot of things pulling at us. But I want you to know... You have a role in the kingdom of God. Okay, it's not to just be a, um, you know, to be a uh, observer, or even just to come and hear a message, and 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 that's going to make me better internally. Like I'm, I'm I'm becoming a better version of myself. That's not Christianity. Christianity is. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I was dead spiritually, now I've been made alive. And God has given me a role to play in the kingdom of God. And in that role, it is so vital that you're faithful and that you're dependable to join a team that's serving in some capacity, whether that's at a local church or a ministry in town. But to be faithful and dependable. When people, you know, come, church, you know, you know, I'm so grateful for that we get to live in a community where we have so many different, um, I guess, temperaments of church, if you would. You know, we can feel like, man, 
this feels like my tribe. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever visited a church? And you might be here today visiting, going like, yeah, I'm here right now. Or you visit a place, and you're like, this doesn't feel like home for me. You know what I mean? When you get to a place where you feel like, this is my tribe, you plant your roots down. So I tell young people or people that are moving away, you go away to college, you find a church, you plant your roots down, and then you put your hand to the plow and you start plowing and working for the kingdom of God and fulfilling the mission of why that God put that church in that community. It's not about just going and, and, and observing. It's not about being a spectator. It's actually about being a part of the team and, and, and helping move that ball forward. All these analogies when the Packers are losing so bad, <laughs> right? Like helping the kingdom of God. Look at this, this, this fellow servant that Paul talks about here. And then he talks about this man named Onesimus. Now, this is an interesting guy. Paul also wrote a letter to Philemon. It's like a one-chapter letter uh, that he also sends on the same time period because uh, Philemon was a, a master. Onesimus was a runaway slave who happened to steal from his master. And Onesimus finds his way and meets the apostle Paul. Isn't it great? Even in our just like stupidity in life and our choices that we make, God still finds a way to use those circumstances to bring us in contact with someone who's going to show us the love of Christ and God's grace and God's mercy. So he, he leaves his job. He steals from his, his, his boss, essentially. And yet God sovereignly puts him in contact with the apostle Paul. Well, he gets saved. Now Onesimus actually becomes a believer, and he begins to mature and grow. And so Paul actually sends a letter to Philemon with him. And, and his letter to Philemon is, says, listen, uh, he, he might have he left you for the very purpose of becoming not just a slave, but a brother, which is better, and really implores uh, uh, Philemon to actually release him from his debt, if you would, which is what put him in slavery, and actually welcome him as a brother. So here's this one who's now maturing, and they get this letter going like, oh my gosh, yeah, I remember Philemon's you know, worker like took off and stole from him, and now he's back. Look at how Jesus changes lives, and he's growing, he's transforming. It's a great reminder to them of the power of the gospel, how the gospel is changing lives. So Paul says, hey, you know, starts naming some of these guys, Tychicus and Onesimus. And then he tells us in uh, Aristarchus in verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always laboring or struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, and, and so does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He mentions some of these other guys, a fellow prisoner. Aristarchus says that that he was a great comfort to Paul. He stood by Paul when heavy persecution came. You know, we don't hear of any moving sermons by this guy. But what we hear is a testimony from Paul that he continued to remain faithful to the Lord and he continued to remain faithful to Paul and he was an encouragement to him. Uh, And the others who was a part of the, you know, when Paul says a part of the circumcision, he was talking about a Jewish believer who didn't turn his back on Paul because Paul was now going to preach the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And a lot of the Jewish Christians had a hard time with these pagans who were just getting saved. They were just like, no, they've got to start following rules that we follow, the law of Moses. And Paul's like going, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Well, a lot of the people that were a part of that Jewish community, they, they kind of like, you know, stiff-armed Paul and like, man, we don't have anything to do with Paul because he's out there preaching to all these heathens and they're all getting saved by grace. So Paul's message of the cross, uh, that salvation was through faith and not by works, it created some division, certainly. But yet here's this, these guys who are part of encouraging Paul, these faithful ones, right? If, <clears throat> you think about where Paul was at. I think so many times we read Paul's letters, we read his testimony in different parts of scripture. Uh, and, and, and maybe even think of people right now. Can you think of people that you go like, man, they're spiritually solid. Like they're rock solid. Um, and, and, and man, they never get discouraged. Here Paul was saying that he was encouraged by this person, right? Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you just go, you know, I think that everything's all together, but man, they need some encouragement. Maybe just even a, a text message to them or a phone call or just like, hey, I just want you to know, man, I keep thinking about you and I'm praying for you. Like, keep pressing on. You know, this last couple years uh, during COVID, you know, and coming out of COVID and just all this stuff, all, this, all the regulations and all that, you know, in church, church worlds, by the way, the church life in America, Churches shut down every single week. I read a study that said 44% of pastors in America have thought about quitting in the last month. Think about that. You think about like the pastors you know, myself, other people that you know, and you think like, man, it's just like, you know, they wake up, there's Gabriel, there's Angel Michael, like here's your coffee, like let's go, it's going to be a good day, you know what I mean? Like we have like an entourage of encouragement, (laughs) The reality is, is that those stats are legit. I mean, I meet, I know pastors. I've been, I've been in this world for a lot, a lot of years, right? I started working at a church when I was three years old, back in 1990. Give or take 17 years. I can't tell you how many people, how many, like, just pastors, families of pastors that have just, just taken beating after beating, and just because of life, spiritual warfare, difficulties, thank God we don't have, like the stuff I hear about, like some of my, you know, pastor buddies that they have to deal with, like fractions in the church, I'm just like going, man, thank God we have like normal people, so thank you (laughs) for being normal, Um, but I mean, I mean, that's just at, that's, that's at, a, at a level you just think, well, they don't need encouragement. Who's in your life right now that you go, man, I don't need to pray for them because, gee, they've got all their crud together, right? 
That's exactly the person to be praying for. That's exactly the person to reach out to and say, I just want to encourage you. Here are these guys that represented the encourager to the Apostle Paul. They're faithfully living out a heavenly-minded living here on earth. He mentions John Mark. Mark was one uh, that uh, wrote the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark was Barnabas' nephew. Uh, uh, when Paul went on the first missionary journey in the book of Acts, it was Barnabas, it was Mark, who was a young man, and the Apostle Paul. Mark decided to cut out halfway through the journey, went back home. We don't know why. We don't know if he got fearful because they were like confronting like demon-possessed people. Uh, we don't know if he actually started getting a little bit upset that non-Jewish people were getting saved. Some speculate that he had like racism he was dealing with within his own heart. Non-Jews getting saved, and gee, they don't deserve salvation. That's all speculation, but it could be a part of it. John Mark was one that Paul and Barnabas on the second missionary journey, Barnabas was like, hey, we're going to bring Mark with us again. And Paul's like, no, we're not bringing Mark with us ever again. Like he is not the starting pitcher of our team, right? And, uh, and so anyways, they have such an issue. Barnabas says, Hey, Paul, you go your way, I'll go my way. He takes John Mark, he restores John Mark to this place of usefulness that Paul in Timothy's letter, he says, send John Mark to me because he's useful. We see this restored life because somebody spent some time with him. And, and, and by the way, John Mark, yes, he cut out of that missionary journey, but God wasn't done working through his life or working on his life. And I love that. When you think about like, I think, I think many people get to a spot where they go, I've so screwed things up. I've so messed up that there's no way that God could ever use me again. But here's Mark inserted in this little closing lines uh, that Paul's giving to the church in Colossae saying like, hey, John Mark, he's a part of what's going on here, right? Uh, he's with me. And, uh, and if he shows up, Hey, follow the instructions that I've given you about him. John Mark was this one who, who, who was restored, and, and that's what God does. And God gave him the ability to be used again. And it was certainly an encouragement to the church as they were going, man, I want to live faithful. It's an encouragement to us that God is not done with us, and he wants to actually continue to build us up and encourage us so that we might be faithful as well. He mentions uh, Jesus, who's called Justice, and and he mentions Dr. Luke in verse 14. These are the ones who kind of served behind the scenes. We don't know much about what they did, but we know they were necessary for the work that God had called the Apostle Paul to accomplish. I wonder if they'd ever thought about, um, like, man, is what I do really impactful and really matter? Have you ever thought that about things that you do? You think about God's kingdom and all that, and you go, well, man, I, I haven't, like, sold all my stuff and, like, you know, go you know, to Bosnia to serve on the mission field. Have you ever just like, just show hands, have you ever like feel like maybe what you do is insignificant in light of like great things? It's stuff I wrestle with. I think about, you know, ministries and churches and, you know, like massive impact and like, oh my gosh, their splash is so big and, you know, and the impact that they're having around the world and gee, is what we do significant? I love that these guys, they, they didn't ever like if they had that internal wrestling match, they didn't allow it to sideline them. They just continued to be faithful. They continued to be faithful. Their deeds aren't announced to the world. We don't know anything. We know that Luke um, wrote the book of Acts and he also wrote the gospel of Luke. So 
there's his fame. But it never was like announced as significant like things that they did for the kingdom. But God takes notice, right? We're so thankful. We think about like this right now. We're all sitting here this morning because there's a group of people that actually for years now, for decades, have decided that they want to come early and they want to make sure that, uh, that uh, an NPR behind us doesn't smell like throw up. It actually is set up for a kid's ministry. Um, which they may throw up in there today. I don't know, but I'm just saying, you know, uh, it's a, it's an NPR. It's it's a it's a place where kids have tater tots tomorrow, right? Uh, people show up and they set up a, a classroom over here to, so that it's safe for you know toddlers and, and infants and and you know pre Ks, right? People show up here. Guess what? If if I'm gone on a Sunday, actually everyone's happy because the guest speaker speaks a little shorter than I do on a Sunday morning. <laughs> It's not so significant if I'm gone, because there's always someone stepping in. But I'll tell you right now, if our setup crew decided that they weren't going to show up on a Sunday morning, I'd say, hey, guys, before we begin, go get your chairs. I need the stuff set up over in the kids' room, <laughs> right? All this stuff. Someone needs to make coffee. All these behind-the-scenes stuff all over the world are so significant for the kingdom. You think about that. Just even creating a welcoming environment for someone who is is, is internally wrestling with, does my life matter? Is there anybody who cares about me? And then they show up to a church that's been set up and there's people that are there to greet them and to welcome them and to encourage them that, yes, you do matter to God, you matter to us. I, I love it, that, that how God uses these behind-the-scenes workers and they faithfully live out this heavenly life here on earth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord ever is useless. He mentions Epaphras, who's this prayer warrior for this church. He founded the church. He loves them. He's constantly praying on their behalf. I think about the needs of RBC. I think about, uh, the, the, actually, this would be a time to recruit you to be a part of praying diligently for the church. If RBC doesn't come up on a regular for your prayer list, you, you know, it's like you go through your week and then you go, oh yeah, we have church tomorrow. Add that to the end of your prayer when you pray for your food. Lord, bless the food and Lord, bless RVC. What a great way to increase the amount of uh, prayer for, for RVC. Here's Epaphras who's interceding for them. By the way, it, when we talk about, like, um, he says, be watchful in prayer in verse 2. It, it, this is where you, in prayer, you, you, you have to be sensitive to what God is doing when you're praying. And God might put someone on your heart. I mentioned people that you go, like, someone comes to your head like, oh, wow, man, they're always doing so well. It might be that the Holy Spirit put them on your mind because something's big is going to happen in their life or some challenge is going on internally that you don't know about. Some flirt with an addiction that they used to have before they knew Christ and all of a sudden it's creeping back in their world and inching closer to them or maybe they're dealing with something internally that we just don't know, we don't see because we just see the smiles and we see the Instagram posts, right? Maybe that's that opportunity to say, God, I want to be in tune with what you are doing and prayerful. And then he mentions a guy named Demas. Demas is an interesting cat. We, he's mentioned three times in the Bible. He's mentioned in, in Philemon's letter, and Paul calls him a fellow worker. He's mentioned here, he says, Demas greets you. And about six years later, we read about Demas in Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he talks about Demas 
who's no longer faithfully living out his life as a follower of Jesus on earth. Paul says this about him. He says, he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. I'm going to tell you right now, that's inserted in there to speak to you and I because our enemy, the enemy of our soul, is very patient, right? We read that, that Satan is like a roaring lion, right? Seeking uh, someone to devour, right? He prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And we just think like, you know, like it's, you know, someone who becomes a new Christian, as soon as they leave, boom, gobbles them up. I can't tell you, the, the alarming thing for me as an older man, the alarming thing for me as a Christian, now been a Christian for several decades, is the amount of people that decades in, several decades into their walk with Jesus, begin to make choices in their life that reflect a life of, uh, I'm done allowing the Lord to be the dominant controller of my life. I'm going to do it my way. Frank Sinatra, like I did it my way. Well, your way's going to suck really bad very quickly. Demas is a, a warning shot to us. Everything's going good. I've got everything under control. As a new follower of Jesus, we're in prayer. We're opening God's word. We're talking to people about real stuff, like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? You get far enough along in your Christian life, you keep everybody at a little distance. You just go like, how's everything going? Oh, it's fine. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, in church, but drifting away from the Lord. That's what happened to Demas. And it's a very scary thing because I would imagine as everyone looked around and saw the people gathered in that house or wherever they met, and they're like, you know, like, oh, Anismus, like, yeah, he's here. And Philemon, like, hope that works out good. And, and then he mentions, you know, the different people and Luke, and he mentions, you know, Tychicus, and he mentions all these different people. He mentions the home church folks. And, and, then, and then they mention Demas. Oh, yeah, oh, gosh, so fond memories of Demas. Remember, Demas is not there in that room. Nobody in that gathering would think, you know, Demas is getting a little squirrely with his life. Everyone would think, gosh, I got to be like Demas. I need to be like Demas. I'm to the point in my Christian life now, I don't know why I'm shocked ever <laughs> anymore. Like where I hear about like some of my mentoring pastors and just go like, you know, one guy, well, I'm not going to get into it. Never mind. I don't know if it's gossip that made CNN, but it's still not helpful. But just, just go like, gosh, man, what? Are you freaking kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? All right, I'm just going to say it. This guy, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the warning shot to us is almost like the disciples around Jesus when it says, one of you is going to betray me. And not a one of them said, like, not me. They asked the question, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Please know this about your life. You have the ability to royally jack things up, <laughs> zero to 100, <laughs> 2.5 seconds. And if you think I could never do exactly what that guy is doing, take heed, Paul says, right? Take heed. To him who thinks he stands, take heed 
lest he fall. That's what Paul says. All these people Paul mentions, there's so many great ones. The final one I will mention is this, this fellow Archippus. Maybe he was discouraged. Maybe the false teachers were sort of getting at him. And now he's kind of weary. And Paul says, hey, and, and one last fella I want to talk to. He says, say to Archippus, fulfill your ministry that you've received in the Lord. He tells this to Timothy as well when he writes to young Timothy. He says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry that you've been given to the Lord. All of us should be concerned with whatever God has called us to do in this life and then to actually get busy doing it. This is not like a football game where 70,000 people are in the stands observing that 22 people are working their tails off. The Christian life is about, Lord, uh, you saved me, and then asking the question, why? What is it you want me to do? This young man, by the way, all of us have the opportunity to work enthusiastically for the Lord in whatever career field he's put us in. This isn't a, so quit your job and be a missionary in Bosnia. This is about saying, Lord, I need to slow my life down enough to say, Lord, what is it in this next season that you're calling me to do? Is it to disciple somebody? Is it to serve with our young people? Is it to start a home fellowship in a small group? Is it to join a ministry in town, like, uh, you know, a city without orphans and be a part of their team? Whatever it is, find out and then get busy doing it. Fulfill your ministry in the Lord. He ends the way he begins, grace, grace to you. He began with grace, God's grace and peace to you. Now he ends with grace. The cross is where we find God's grace and forgiveness and mercy and the ability to be a part of his kingdom. And his grace transforms us. And these little names, I'll be honest, I thought about like, man, we should just skip all these little names and stuff like that. But I think that they example to us what it means to faithfully be living out a heavenly mindset here on earth. My encouragement to you is to say, Lord, what needs to adjust in my life when I hear about these different faithful people? Maybe it needs to be that you need to be uh, intentional about praying diligently. If you don't have a regular time set aside for God to pray, man, make some time. Carve out 10 minutes in the morning, in the afternoon, lunchtime, whenever it is. Maybe it's about living wisely. You think about your, what comes out of your mouth and think, man, the things that I say, would anyone be able to tell I'm a Christian? And whatever I say, would it encourage them to be a Christian? Maybe it's just this faithful living, these examples of different people. Maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe you feel like what you do doesn't matter. Whatever it is, allow the Spirit of God as we close in a song of worship to kind of sort of like work on your heart, work on your soul. Maybe there's some things that be adjusted in your life. Maybe there's some things that need to be added to your life. Maybe there's some things that need to be subtracted from your life. This is that time to do some business with God and allow him to speak directly to your hearts today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to allow 
your word this opportunity to, to speak to our hearts, God. Paul talks about in chapter three that we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Lord, that's what we're doing this morning. We're allowing your word not only to hit our ears, but Lord, to sort of seep in our souls, God. And Lord, do the work that it does. God, it points out areas that need to be adjusted. It encourages us to trust in you and to hope in you. God, it inspires us to live for things that really matter in our career field, on our team, in our classroom, Lord, at our household. Lord, to really live for your kingdom and allow you to be the very core and center of our life. God, that's my prayer this week, that you would allow us, each one of us, God, to have wisdom. God, to, as we interact with people that we're at work with, at school with, Lord, we would have wisdom, Lord, to, from you, Lord, to, to know how to give them an answer. Even as Peter writes, to give an answer for the hope that we have found in you. Lord, in the end, we want you to be glorified in our lives. God, we want our lives to be just totally enraptured by who you are and your love. And I pray that this week, that my friends, God, will experience you in a new and powerful and fresh way. Lord, as we head into the Christmas season, Lord, I pray that we would take the opportunities that you give us to point people to you, Lord, that God, you would help us to not get so wrapped up in the craziness and chaos of Christmas uh, commercially, Lord, that we miss out on times of worshiping you, God, and allowing you to grow us spiritually. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our time today in your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.